Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Kansas City. Why is this smile on my face? Because I'm happy to bring you this wonderful, beautiful day, Monday edition of Tapped In. From Taps on Main in downtown Kansas City, the KCPN studio. Welcome to Tapped In. More than happy to be here with you today. So what do we got on tap here? April 19th. Very notorious day in American history. A lot, of, a lot of crazy stuff has happened on April 19th in history. It's something that I don't usually do, but April 19th in particular stands out. So I thought, just a, just a little history, you know, just a little bit of crazy stuff. 1775, American Revolution got started on April 19th. 1861, first bloodshed of the Civil War in, on April 19th. And 1995, the Oklahoma City bombing occurred. A lot of crazy stuff happened on April 19th. So we're going to keep it light because we like, we, we want April 19th to be, uh, have, have more of a, a nice positive connotation to it. And so fortunately, I've got something that I'm able to jump right into that makes this April 19th very delightful. And that is the Kansas City Royals. What else am I going to lead off with this sh lead off this show with other than what the Royals have just been absolutely kicking ass lately. I came in last Friday and I talked about, uh, Talked about how we were getting started with the Blue Jays series and we were coming off a loss in that opening series. But then the Royals just absolutely wouldn't handle business. No game on Friday night. So that meant we got a doubleheader. You got some awesome free baseball on uh, Saturday for folks that actually went out there and tried to get try to catch both games. Yes, they were shortened seven inning games, but still didn't start off so well in the first game for the Royals. They had, took a one to five loss. Uh, and that's due to the dominance of uh, Toronto starter, Stephen Matz, formerly of the New York Mets. He came out and he just absolutely lit up the Royals. He didn't, hadn't allowed a single hit until the sixth inning. And so he just had a dominant performance. The Royals did get their one run there in the sixth when Andrew Benintendi doubled in Nicky Lopez. But just not, uh, not a good start to the doubleheader there for the Royals and knocked them down to 7-5. and five. But the Royals weren't done yet. They were not going to go down without a fight for the day. And we saw that in the second, uh, the second end of the doubleheader in which the Royals were able to come away with a 3-2 victory off of something I can't believe that I said, a start from Irvin Santana. Yes, folks, Irvin Santana actually had a start for the Kansas City Royals at 38 years old. He became the fourth oldest pitcher to make a start in Kansas City Royals history. And it was his first start for the Royals since September 25th, 2013. Almost eight full years later, he makes his in-between starts for, uh, for Irvin Santana. He didn't get the win, unfortunately. He only went three innings. It was due to it being a doubleheader. That was something where it, they, they were going to rest the key starters, the main members of the rotation. And that was, that's what having Irvin Santana around affords them to do is to take a lot of pressure off of the guys that are gonna, who we're going to be looking to over the course of the season to really carry the burden in the rotation. But it's nice to have a guy like Santana around to be able to pick up some of that load for them. And <clears throat> so he went three, uh, three innings, only gave up one earned run, just two hits, one strikeout, no walks. So really solid, strong outing by Irvin Santana. Followed by uh, Jake Brintz. Unfortunately, Brintz gave up his first run of the season. As he's one of those guys that I've mentioned, along with Stamont and Zimmer, and we just we're, we're seeing these these relievers that had previously allowed uh, not had not allowed a single run over the course of the season start to slip up a little bit, and 
But I, if slipping up means that your ERA is still 1.8, I'd say that's really not a bad slip up. And especially because the Royals were still able to come away with the victory because that was only one of the only the two runs. Uh, that was only the second run allowed in the game. And then you had Scott Barlow, Josh Stamont, and Greg Holland come in and finish out over three and a third inning to close out the game. Only allowed two hits and not a single run. And so you get into the bottom of the seventh inning. 2-2 two, two game. And this is, this is, I remember I was, I just taken off and I was listening on the, listening on the radio in the car, listening to Denny make the call, as any good Royals fan should be. And you hear Salvador Perez at the plate. And boy, oh boy, does Salvi just do what Salvi does. And just came through with an absolute monster of a home run. 459 feet. He smacked the living hell out of that ball for a walk-off victory. Home run, Salvador Perez, on Saturday after or Saturday evening for yours, your Kansas City Royals and my Kansas City Royals. Gotta love that man, Salvador Perez. Just absolutely killing it. Like it's it's just unreal that we're watching him. He's about to turn 31 years old. But the guy is playing the best baseball of his career right now. And that includes behind the dish. I think that it's not a stretch to say that he very well might be the top catcher in baseball at this point. I understand people would probably throw out the name JT Real Muto with Philadelphia. Uh, and, of course, there's always going to be those you know jackasses in St. Louis that would say Yachty Molina. But for my money, it's Salvador Perez. And I think it's been that way for a long time. And he's after some of the... The rough couple seasons that he had, he has definitely come, come back and asserted his dominance. And again, like I've mentioned before, we can definitely understand why the Royals gave him that extension. You got to take care of Salvi because goodness, he is taking care of the Kansas City Royals and us fans here in our beloved Kansas City. So then you get into, you close out the four game set on Sunday, yesterday afternoon. Yours truly was out there showing my support for the boys in blue. And it was a little bit hit or miss in the weather-wise. We had some rain. We had some sunshine. So it kind of it, it wasn't the, the perfect ideal day. It was also quite chilly, but uh, not not exactly how you want to spend uh, spend watch a baseball game weather-wise. But the game itself was quite the treat. A lot of fans aren't gonna di aren't gonna dig a pitcher's duel. I love a pitcher's duel. So I I know it's it's it might be boring, but man that's that's when you've got your you've got a pitch a couple of pitchers out there just absolutely nails dominant throwing crazy stuff and that's what the that's what happened yesterday, and it went deep into the game where it was still zero to zero, and so the Royals were able to come out with the two zero victory. Brady Singer had by far his best start of the season, six innings pitch, two hits, three walks, six strikeouts. And most importantly, that big old bagel donut zero zilch for runs allowed. Dropped his ERA to 3.77. So we're definitely, if this is some indication of Singer, what, what he's capable of. I mean, there's a reason this guy was a first-round pick. And he looked something special yesterday. And so I really hope that this is him turning the corner and he will be a viable member of this rotation moving forward and be every bit worth that first-round pick that they spent on him in 2018 along with Jackson Kowar and be not necessarily an ace, but if, this is a, if that's the kind of stuff that he's going to bring on a consistent basis, you're talking about a guy who could be a legit ace or number two in a playoff-type 
pitching rotation. And that's very exciting for the Kansas City Royals. He came out after the six innings, though, and another former first-round pick, Kyle Zimmer, came out, 2012 first-round pick. And Zimmer, Zimmer, along with Stamont and Holland, I know I'm, I'm, that's a broken record, Stamont and Holland, but there's a reason for it. And yesterday, the, between the three of them, they finished out the last three innings without allowing a single base runner. No hits, no walks, no runs, no earned runs. Zip, nada. Love it. Absolutely love it. Zimmer looks like he has been re-energized now that he's had a lot more time to spend in the in the uh, the bullpen. And the Royals aren't trying to stretch him out anymore, see if he can be a starter or even a spot starter. He is in the bullpen, and that's where he needs to be. And he's looking the absolute best that he's ever looked. Uh, and for a guy who was looked at as a bust just as recently as about two years ago, that is that's phenomenal development if you're a Royals fan and if you're in the Royals organization. You know Dayton Moore's got to love seeing that. And so it goes to say that it was pitching that really won the game yesterday. But how did the Royals get those two runs on, on the board? Who else was Salvador Perez again? Salvi comes through with another home run, this time of, of the 441-foot variety, a two-run shot driving in Carlos Santana, and in the seventh inning. So there's your 2-0 your, your win. That's crazy to think on both Saturday night and Sunday afternoon, Salvi comes in less than 24 hours, two game-winning home runs. Salvi doing Salvi things. That guy deserves the ultimate Salvi splash. So I know he doesn't do it anymore, but God, do I love watching that guy. So here we've got the Royals now after the three games set, or the three games in the two days over the weekend. Royals sitting at 9-5. and five. Can't be upset about that. I mean, my goodness, this is the best the Royals have looked probably since the 2015 season. This is definitely the strongest start they've had since that glorious World Series season of 2015. And some of the bats are down. You've only got one guy batting over 300 at this point. Whit Merrifield is down. He is struggling at 321. If that's him scuffling, then I, I, I think that that kid might be all right. He just might make it, folks. Whit Merrifield just might have a chance. Uh, but Whit's 321, three home runs, 11 RBIs tied for the team lead along with Salvador Perez, and five stolen bases. 14 games, he's got five stolen bases. Whit doing Whit things. I mean, how many guys am I going to say that about? Salvi doing Salvi things, with doing with things. As long as they keep doing these things, the Royals are in excellent shape moving forward in this season. Salvi is close to 300 at 291, and he's got the five home runs and the aforementioned 11 RBIs tied again along with uh, with Mr. Merrifield. And so the, it's it's not not strong on some of the other bats. Michael A. Taylor hasn't quite. Uh, after a blazing hot start, he hasn't been up to par quite as much as he had been to start the season. Uh, but Nicky Lopez is still hanging in there. Lopez is batting 282, and he's still playing some pretty, really strong shortstop and making a case that whenever Mondesi is back, that they might have to rearrange some, that might have to figure something out, put Witt out in the outfield or something, and have Lopez a second base because Lopez is showing that. He, he, he belongs. He's, uh, he's earned the right to get an extended stay in Kansas City and not get sent down to Omaha whenever Alberto Mondesi is activated and gets back into the lineup and on the field. So what do the Royals have on tap moving forward? We got one more series in this 10-game homestand. They've got a th they're starting a three-game set with the, 
with the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. Man, just screw those guys. Like, they're from Tampa, and they were in the World Series last year, and the Tampa Bay Lightning won the, won the Stanley Cup playoffs last year, and those just asshole Buccaneers won the Super Bowl. Like, man, screw those guys. So I, I want to really, but very much so, would love to see a Royal Sweep to close out this homestand because I, I just want to send Tampa Bay. I want to send the Rays back to Tampa Bay just with their tail between their legs, having just got their ass kicked by the Kansas City Royals and showing them who's boss right now in the American League. But Tampa is coming in hot. They just swept the Yankees, who the Yankees are not. There was a, one of the heavy World Series favorites, along with the Dodgers, to start the season. But the the Yankees just haven't been up. They have not looked anywhere close to snuff at this point. And uh, the Rays definitely took care of business with them. But that brought the Rays up to eight and eight. So you got the eight and eight Rays coming into town with the nine and five nine and five Royals. I like our chances. You got Danny Duffy on the bump tonight. Duffy has looked superb, as again, as I've mentioned before. And uh, he's going up against Josh Fleming tonight at 7-10. And then you got Tuesday night, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Rich Hill. That dude is still pitching. He, he's got to be around 40 now. But Tampa Bay loves dudes like that. And so he's pitching against Brad Keller. And again, Keller's coming off his best start of the season. And then on Wednesday, you got Michael Waka. He of, again, those a, a former uh, St. Louis jackass cardinal. And so, can you can you sense the heat or the the heat and the hatred for St. Louis here? Because it's legit, folks. It is legit. I do not care for that city or that team at all. We won an eighty-five in your face. And uh, anyway, but Michael Waka, former Cardinal, on on Wednesday night against Jake Junis, who, again, as I've mentioned before, he has definitely earned this third start as he has been absolutely lights out in his first two starts for the Royals. And we will see hopefully over the course of this series, and I will talk more about it on Wednesday. Um, hopefully we can see Junis continue to show that he deserves a spot in that rotation. So very exciting things for the Royals. Great weekend, had an awesome time at the K. We're hearing some rumors that they might be, for the month of May, that they might kick up attendance to 50%. So 20,000 people would be allowed in the stands. It's a lot of fun, folks. I had an absolute, it's my second game I went to yesterday. Uh, of of the season and it's just get out there have have a lot of fun this is a really fun team to watch and the Royals are they they could use our support man I mean I can't tell you just the joy that we've been able to see on their faces at playing in front of live crowds again and it's a it's just a lot of fun and so get out there when if you have the opportunity and go support the Royals because come on guys they're Kansas City blue the kid Blue is awesome right now. They are kicking some ass. So go out there and see some Royals. Uh, a little bit of other baseball news in another team that I can't stand, the Cleveland Indians, or soon to whatever the hell they're going to change their name to. Uh, but last year's Cy Young winner Shane Bieber, uh, not Justin, not the singer, Shane Bieber, 2020 Cy Young Award winner, has been throwing flames this season. He had his fourth straight start of the season in which he had at least 10 strikeouts. That is a major, that is a first in major league history for a pitcher to start the season with four consecutive starts with 10 or more strikeouts. He has 48 strikeouts at this point in the season, which is tied with the most strikeouts to start a season and through four starts, along with just some guy named Nolan Ryan, only one of the greatest flamethrowers in the history of baseball. 
He's doing some ridiculous things. He has had 16 straight starts with at least eight strikeouts. That is one shy of the record held by just another random dude by the name of Randy Johnson. Another of Nolan Ryan and Randy Johnson, two of the greatest strikeout pitchers, maybe the two greatest strikeout pitchers that the game of baseball has ever seen. And Shane Bieber is having some company with those guys. So there's some ridiculously amazing and impressive things happening with the Cleveland Indians right now in their ace and a guy who definitely has earned the title of ace in Shane Bieber. And fortunately, we haven't had to deal with it here in Kansas City yet. Uh, it's not a guy I, I do not care to get to see. I know we, had, we did face him in one of the starts. So fortunately, we've only had to deal with him once. So I, I take that back. But uh, hopefully, we don't have to see him again anytime soon because that guy is absolutely nails of late. And so kudos to Shane Bieber. Uh, Going to switch gears just a little bit here and get into some football. And uh, it's, it's, it's both of the things that I'm talking about football today are unfortunate, one more so than the other. But the first thing I want to address, because it's pertinent to the Chiefs, is the passing of Chiefs legend Fred Arbanis at 82 years old over the weekend. Uh, Arbanis was a member of the initial Super Bowl winning team in 1969. He was one of Lynn Dawson's favorite targets for the Chiefs in the early days. And the tight end position wasn't a wasn't used back then the way it is now, uh, but Fred Arbanus was definitely a key member, and he was a great blocker too. I mean, people love hearing Chiefs fans love hearing uh, the the legendary Hank Stram talk about sixty five toss power trap, and that's even the productions for the the Chiefs do for their video productions sixty five TPT. And that is a play that will forever be associated with Chiefs greatness. There's even outside of Arrowhead Stadium, you have the X's and O's setup of that play in the concrete right in front of the stadium. It's an absolutely wonderful thing, and it's, it's very iconic to Chiefs history. But that play doesn't happen. Mike Garrett doesn't run into that end zone untouched without Fred Arbanis coming out and just delivering the pancake block of all pancake blocks on the Minnesota Vikings middle linebacker, Lonnie Warwick. And that's what completely opened it up for Mike Garrett on one of the most legendary examples of 65 toss power trap. Uh, Arbanis, again, he wasn't a huge, a bit major target. He only had 109 receptions in his career. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, and he it was a little over 3,000 yards receiving. But in those of those 198 catches, 34 of them were, were, were for touchdowns. He was a touchdown machine. To put to that in to put that in contrast with today's numbers, Travis Kelsey has 612 receptions, but 48 of those are touchdowns. And Kelsey puts up a lot of touchdowns. But in four, to have 48 touchdowns and 612 catches, that's good today. To think of the fact that he had 34 touchdowns and 198 catches back then, that goes to show how much Lynn Dawson clearly trusted him when he got into the red zone. And just another example of the Chiefs have more great have had more greatness at the tight end position than any other franchise in NFL history. When you consider Arbanis being the first, obviously Tony Gonzalez, and right now Travis Kelsey. And to go to show that, yes, tight end wasn't an overly used position back then, but he is still Arbanis's was a five-time uh, AFL before they merged with the NFL, five-time AFL All-Star. He is on the Hall of, the Pro Football Hall of Fame's all-time AFL team at tight end. So the guy was a hell of a ball player, and clearly he's been recognized as much. And he got involved in the Kansas City community after he retired. He retired in 1973. 
and immediately in 1973 helped Jackson County, Missouri start their own county legislature. And he was elected to a seat on, in that, leg, excuse me, on the, in that legislative branch 11 times. He was elected 11 times through 2014 uh, until he, he was done in his 70s at that point, was ready to retire. But over the course of that, Jackson County rose up to be the third largest county park system in the United States for any county across the nation. And that's in large part, you, if you ask the current chair or anybody else who's involved in the Jackson County legislative system, they will attribute it, say, yeah, you go out to the parks, you go out and see ballparks, all these amazing, beautiful things in Jackson County. They're like, yeah, that's got Fred Arbanas' name written all over it. And so there's even one of the golf courses out there in Jackson County that is named after him. And so and that's just, he's a Kansas City legend. And if for a guy who is from Michigan, went to Michigan State, to become so ingrained in Kansas City, both as a Chiefs player and in retirement, just goes to show that it's something that I can talk, talk and talk and talk about is how great this city is and how phenomenal Kansas City is. And Fred Arbanis is an excellent example of that. And so we do wish him rest in peace, Mr. Arbanis, uh, 82 years old, Kansas City legend. And so we're gonna switch from that though to another farewell. For, fortunately, this one's not, not a final farewell, but uh, something that's bi bi very big for Chiefs fans, and that is the re announcement of the retirement today for Alex Smith. He officially made his announcement today, and it's something that the journey that he's gone on, particularly over the last three years, has been some of the most tremendous, just one of the most tremendous stories written in the history of sports, period. He is an ex a shining light and an example of willpower and the true, he is an embodiment of what the, of just what the human spirit can overcome. And so he was, well, some of the things just about him, he was the 2005 first overall pick. He was, people talk about Urban Meyer and the legacy that he's had as a college football coach and one of the greatest of all time. He was, Alex Smith was his first real true superstar quarterback in the system that has had Tim Tebow and Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor and a number of great quarterbacks that were in Terrell Pryor. I'm sorry, not Terrell Pryor. Uh, he was before that, but um, JT Smith and Cardell Jones and a number of very successful Florida and Ohio State quarterbacks. Alex Smith was, was the first of those. And he was known as a brilliant quarterback, which of course passed was, was something that he carried on in uh, the NFL, just one of the most just incredibly intelligent quarterbacks and the way that he viewed the field. And of course we got to see that here in Kansas city after he was eight seasons in San Francisco, they dealt him to us when Andy Reid took over in 2013 and people have had their criticisms of Alex Smith over the course of his career, especially here in Kansas city. A lot of times his limitations were brought up. The fact of the matter is, is yeah, he didn't have the strongest arm and no, he didn't always make go for the big play. But that guy was such a damn good quarterback that I think a lot of people forget just how bad we had it in Kansas City before he and Coach Reed arrived in 2013. I mean, again, I don't need to throw out the names, but I'm going to. Todd Haley, Matt Castle, you know, nothing on Romeo Cornell because he's a tremendous human being, unlike Todd Haley, who's a piece of shit. But, um, but Matt Castle, Brady Quinn, Tyler Palco, just a number of quarterbacks that had no business starting in the NFL. 
And, I mean, Castle had his moments, but Alex Smith completely changed things for Kansas City. Over the course of the five seasons that he played, as a, that, he, that he suited up in the red and gold in KC, he went 50-26. and 26. Ten wins a season. That's a very impressive mark for, again, how bad the Chiefs had been prior to that. And I will never forget some of the great moments that he had as the Chief, in particular one of my favorites, the 2015, the first playoff win that the Chiefs had had in 22 years when they went into Houston in the wildcard round and just absolutely blitzed the hell out of the Houston Texans, beat them 30 to nothing. That was, that was, such, a, that was such a huge moment for Chiefs fans to just get that, get that off their shoulders. That was a huge weight lifted. And that was Alex Smith that, in, that engineered that. And then I'll never forget the following season, his first start of the, the, the opener of the 2016 season. The Chiefs, with under 10 minutes to, to go, are losing to the San Diego Chargers 27-10. to 10. Alex leads them on a comeback, forces overtime. Chiefs win in overtime 33-27. to 27. And the enduring image for me of Alex Smith in Kansas City is him turning around after that. And we, we love seeing Patrick Mahomes show his emotion, but this was the first time I'd ever seen Alex Smith truly show emotion. And just looking up to the crowd and just pumped up and just lets out a, just, just a ridiculous yell, just very guttural. Just, it, you could tell he was really in that moment. He was so thrilled. And that was something you didn't commonly see from Alex Smith. And... <clears throat> Obviously, we we didn't reach the heights with him that we would, would that we would uh, afterwards with Patrick Mahomes, but still, just a lot of awesome iconic moments that Alex Smith led the Chiefs to, and the guy was in just a superb quarterback and an even better human being, and we saw that happen after what happened in his first season, starting with the Washington at the time the Washington Redskins, now the Washington football team, but when he suffered one of the most gruesome injuries that any football player has ever suffered, and we had a broken tibia and fibula on just a freak play. It was just a common sack, but his leg just got contorted in the worst way, and unfortunately that look on his face that day, that's something else that will forever be burned in my memory. And because, again, just such a great affinity for Alex Smith, and to see somebody like that you never wish that on anybody, but the fact that it happened to a guy like Alex Smith made you be like, come on, like, seriously, why, why him of all people? And why couldn't that happen to like Johnny Manziel or something? And Manziel's trying to fix his career, but whatever. Um, but it, had to, it happened to Alex Smith, and I'm very much a proponent of everything happens for a reason, and the comeback that he had. He dealt with 17 surgeries. He was in the hospital for over a month fighting infections after the surgeries and had to have more procedures to fight the infection. There was a mention, there was a time when legitimately they thought they were going to have to ampute, excuse me, amputate his leg. And he fought through it. And if you ever have a chance to watch the documentary talking about it called Project 11 about his comeback, it's, if you don't tear up watching it, then you're not a human being. I mean, it was a tremendous story and everything that he fought through just to come back and get to play one more time. And then, he's, and then to actually succeed in doing so last season in Washington down the stretch of the season. And I remember that first game against the Rams and cringing knowing that Aaron Donald was going to be lining up opposite from him and that Donald is a guy who could, just like that, re-injure that leg. And I think I, me along with other people, there was, just, there was a whole nation of football fans holding their collective breath, especially a lot of us here in Kansas City, when he went out there and started for the first time. But it was also such a tremendous moment because you had to feel an immense swell of pride because 
that's something that Alex Smith is one of the only people that could overcome everything that he did there. And he's, it's just, again, I can't say enough about him. Uh, he was retiring 27th career, uh, 27th in NFL history in passing yards at 35,650. Uh, played in 174 games, 199 touchdowns, 109 interceptions. I mean, the guy, he was a very smart People throw around the term game manager, but he was he was just a smart cerebral quarterback. And so when he did get the comeback player of the year last year, and he did want to keep playing this this season, but ultimately in the farewell video, he basically said is like my kids have no idea what's coming and he wants to take walks with his wife. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting choked up. Um let me take a second here, take a sip of water. It was it was a, it's a two minute video that's it's on ESPN of him announcing the announcing the retirement. Go watch it. It's if you don't tear up like I do, then it's it's again you, any Chiefs fan will will see the see the love that that guy has for for the game and for life and for his family. And so that's what uh, that's what we're going to go out on today is appreciation, Alex Smith. Congratulations on him an awesome and inspirational career. And thank you so much for everything you've done for Chiefs Kingdom. So we're going to close it out here. Thank you again for joining us on another edition of Tapped In. And we will see you back here on Wednesday.